everybody who's in this room joining us online. So glad you're here. I uh, was thinking about how a while back I was talking with a mom who had really just given everything. I mean, all of herself, quit her career, homeschooled all four of her children, just poured herself into her children. And uh, her 17-year-old son was arrested for selling pot out of his car. And so in talking with her, she's like, where is the kingdom of God in this? Ever felt that way? I I was thinking about another friend, a gal that I went to school with, and she uh, carries an ache with her throughout life because tragically she was the one uh, to find her brother who had died by suicide in his room. And she wonders, in light of that, where is the kingdom of God in this? And we are in this series where we are looking at the stories Jesus told, the parables. And more than any other topic, Jesus spoke most about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of love. And I imagine you have some experiences in your life where you just go, where is the kingdom of God in this? One time Jesus was talking about the kingdom and he gave kind of a one line, a one sentence parable. He simply said, the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman took, mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened peculiar, little parable, little story, little one-sentence lesson about the kingdom. Now, the thing we have to understand is that in ancient Israel, in the minds of the people who first heard Jesus say this, leaven, or what we would today call yeast, was actually a symbol of corruption, And I owe a lot of thanks to Thomas Keating for his thoughts on this parable. But in ancient times, the Israelites thought of yeast as in corruption. Like we tend to think of yeast in a positive way, right? Fermentation, we think of new life. That's how we think of yeast today. But for the people of Israel, leaven was a symbol of corruption, It symbolized the unholy. It symbolized the profane. It symbolized not the sacred, but the everyday. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the opposite, unleavened, that was sacred. Unleavened was holy. But leaven symbolized corruption. And in ancient times, Leaven was actually made by taking a place, just a piece of bread, and putting it in a cool, damp, dark place and letting it rot. Letting it become rotten, letting it become stinky. 
So leaven in their minds when Jesus said this represented something that was rotten, that stinks. And here Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like yeast. Wait, what? The kingdom of God is like something rotten? Like something stinky? Like yeast? Like what? Part of what Jesus is saying is that when you look for the kingdom, look for it in unexpected places. To Jesus' listeners, leaven was the symbol of corruption, and the, the parable questions where the kingdom of God is to be found. It, it is confronting our ideas about where goodness is to be found. So the teachings of Jesus so on the regular are both shocking and they're challenging. In a way, Jesus saying the kingdom of God is like yeast, it is similar in a way to when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because remember, the Good Samaritan story, the idea, the people, his listeners at that time, they had an idea of who in society was good. And Jesus takes the most evil person in their mind, the despised Samaritan, and makes that person the hero of the story. In a similar way, when he does this again, he's flipping things upside down. It's the same thing here in this parable. The kingdom of God is like yeast. Like, can something that appears corrupt contain the kingdom? And Jesus just loves to do this. Remember how Jesus, all throughout the scriptures, he has this custom of hanging out with sinners, evildoers. He has this custom of sharing meals with all the outcasts of society. It was like he loved to dine with the irreligious. He was constantly offending the religious establishment with who he kept company with. And in doing that, he was showing how the kingdom of God is active in the margins, in the marginalized, in the margins of society, that it that the kingdom of heaven is not just with the religious folks. Jesus was eating with outcasts and sinners and the marginalized. He ate more meals with them than he did with the religious folks. Now, eating with people in that culture was this statement of identification with their community. And in doing that, Jesus was Really, in a way, he was forfeiting his own moral purity in the eyes of the religious establishment. He consistently embraced the irreligious and challenged the religious. And now, of course, we can talk about this, and we can ask, did, did Jesus dining with sinners throughout the scriptures, throughout these stories, did it mean that he approved of the extortion, the prostitution, the various forms of corruption in the lives of the company he kept. And obviously, his friendship did not equal approval of sin. What his actions did reveal, though, was that reaching out in love, 
in mercy, in forgiveness, in reconciliation are vastly more important in God's eyes than moral incorruption. That reaching out in love and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation was vastly more important to Jesus. So Jesus, by the way he lived, by his life, by the stories that he told, the parables that we read, he is saying, look for the kingdom in unexpected places. The kingdom, it's like yeast. It's like the despised Samaritan. It's like a rabbi eating with sinners. The kingdom of God is going to show up in all sorts of places you won't expect it to. And according to the parables, the kingdom of God, it's like it is free to appear anywhere, anytime, under any guise, in anyone. It doesn't fit into the presuppositions, the expectations in our minds. It certainly does not fit into our demands of it or our control of it. It's not limited to the walls of the temple or the walls of the sanctuary. It is found in everyday life. This is why so often Jesus is, he's talking about normal, everyday, regular things. He's like, look at the birds. Consider the flowers. As you are going along, that person on the side of the road, as you are on your way, these are where the kingdom of heaven is found. I read this story this week, and it was about a mom in California who had a practice of contemplative prayer. And she encountered great tragedy in her life. Her, her only son, who was just graduating from college, was tragically murdered just by a sociopath, by someone just on the street, didn't even know him, who just wanted to experience the power of taking another human life. And, uh, of course, this woman... This mom was just sent into deep, deep grief, the loss of her son. I mean, she's asking all the questions, right? Where is God's kingdom in this? Like, is this a punishment for my sin? Did God abandon me? How could God let this happen? And as she's in her, her journey of grief, quite some time goes by, and she's in prayer, and, and she, she, makes a de- she decides to actually write. The, the man who murdered her son is convicted and goes to prison. But she decides, after a few years, to write that man a letter. She writes him a letter. She doesn't hear anything for like a year, nothing at all. And then she gets a letter back. And it is just, you know, very matter-of-fact, does not appear to have any remorse in it, but acknowledges that he had, in fact, received her letter. So she writes again, and she says, can I come and meet you? And she goes and, with a social worker who's assigned to his case, she, she goes and meets the man who murdered her son. And she sees just a deadpan face relaying to her his life, extreme physical abuse, just, you know, narcissistic, just, you know, total antisocial 
and she, you know, is there meeting him. And, and she keeps this up where she, she's writing and, and she's visiting over many years. She, she actually, there is a point where she actually embraces him, gives him a hug as she's going to leave. And uh, she, she detects as she does this, like a little tear in the corner of his eye. And uh, this story made me think, is the kingdom of God there? You know, what does heaven, does all of heaven rejoice at the inhumanity of a soul moving to the point of a tear in the corner of his eye? Does all of heaven rejoice more over that incredible feat than all the church services in the world? I mean, who's to judge? Is the kingdom of God there? Jesus often identified with outcasts of society, people everybody else had given up on, and evidently the kingdom of God was active there. And of course, the kingdom is everywhere. The kingdom of God is simply any place where God is king, where God is ruling and reigning in a human life. The kingdom of God is active and alive in you when God is king of you, all of you. But the parables, they often suggest that the kingdom is at its mightiest in the marginalized, in the events that we characterize as write-offs, as corrupt, as evil, as too far gone. To draw a single tear from the eye of a person whose heart is of stone, I mean, it must cause all of creation to wonder and marvel at the power of the kingdom of God's love. Let me just think of things that you might consider corrupt today. You can make your little list. Places where you might say, where is God in this? The idea in this parable is that the kingdom of God is active where we may only see corruption, that the kingdom of God is present everywhere And it is present where we least expect it to be. This teaching of Jesus really challenges our attempts to judge with certainty in our little human brains where God is at work and where God is not at work. It's like by taking something like leaven that was thought of as corrupt, Jesus is implying that the kingdom of God, it it can appear under any guise. So what are the things in your life that you would say, that is rotten, that stinks? And do you have eyes and an openness to see the kingdom come even there? In the eyes of the beholder, sometimes a situation, it just looks like a disaster. It seems like nothing but leaven, nothing but rotten, nothing but stinky. But Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like this. It can show up wherever, in whomever, 
under any guise. So don't be so certain that you know and that you control and that you command where the kingdom appears. You know, we were, this past week, we were visiting um, a family farm in Wisconsin. It's a few doors down from where Nana lives. And they graciously allowed to give my city kids a tour of the family farm, which was amazing. And while we were there, we uh, met their, uh, the grandparents' grandson. And uh, he had an accident when he was very young. And he is 20 years old now, but he is uh, forever like a three-year-old. He um, cannot, cannot speak, cannot do much on his own. His parents and his grandparents have, you know, heroically shown up for him his whole life and, um, and cared for him. And, you know, when, when, you, when you look in his eyes, you know, he's like driving around on the golf cart, looking at the trees, looking at the animals on the farm, and... When you look into his eyes, it's like looking into the eyes of someone who is totally secure. Like somebody whose needs are totally met. Like their sacrificial love has allowed him to remain a child. To keep that, those childlike qualities his whole life. And this came because of their willingness to accept what was real and what was true and to see God's kingdom come there. And so in meeting them and in spending the morning with them, you know, you just ask, like, is the kingdom of God here? Is the kingdom present there? When we encounter suffering in life, you know, be it of our own making, be it of somebody else's making, or just the common suffering of being human, our tendency, of course, is to want to change the painful or the shameful situation, to just change it right away, to get out from under it. But some situations do not change but they do change us. They're designed to to change us, and our acceptance of them is where our personal redemption actually begins. Because there there is no peace in life apart from acceptance. There's no peace in life apart from acceptance, acceptance of reality, of what is, of what cannot be changed, consenting to, right here, right now, consenting to, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, with these people, in this place, at this time, which was not of my own choosing. There is no peace apart from acceptance When Christ died on the cross, not a single angel or human came to his aid. That's rotten. That stinks. That is super corrupt. 
Even the father turns his face away. Jesus is rejected by the civil, by the religious authorities, by his own people. He's abandoned by his disciples. He's forsaken by his father. Like leaven, it's corrupt. Was the kingdom of God present then? Was love winning there? Was darkness being overcome on that day? The kingdom of God, it doesn't operate on the level of appearances. So very often, it's an interior work. It's, a, it's an inner freedom. It's a, it's, a, it's a joy and an interior freedom that is not about appearances. It doesn't operate on the level of appearances. Very often, when circumstances are actually at their worst... The kingdom is present in a hidden, but in a very real way. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman took, mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. May you have eyes to see God's kingdom come in unexpected places in your life. Let's pray. We pray together as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.